You are listening to the American Truth Project Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome to Barry Newsom. Good job. Thank you. I gave you 15 minutes. Okay. Okay. Good morning, ladies, and a couple of guys, too. Nice to see a couple of you were dragged along. Um, Carol asked me to to talk about Syria. Uh, I think it would be incumbent upon me just to give you a a brief update on what happened in the White House about an hour ago, uh, as it it will have implications in regards to Syria. Anybody see the press conference with the President and Prime Minister Netanyahu? Okay, so um, as many of you know, there has been absolutely no love lost between President Obama and the people of Israel and the leaders of Israel. Um, I can tell you having, I have many, many connections in and out of the government in Israel. Um, President Obama is the most hated American leader since Jimmy Carter. Maybe worse. It takes, it takes tremendous presence Um, and statesmanship to sit with a leader who makes no secret of the fact that he hates you and has been caught on open mics many times explaining that he hates Netanyahu. So this morning, what was key was the body language by President Obama was much more conciliatory. And my interpretation of what I saw in the news was because Obama is thinking, well, I won. I got my Iran deal. There's nothing you can do about it. uh, So you might as well hang around. It's not going to annoy me so much. He did say that um, a couple comments that I thought were just nutty. You know, the, the, the cooperation between Israel and, and the United States has never been closer. <laughs> there was a slight disagreement on Iran. Uh, um, and uh, going forward, we will have a tremendous defense cooperation. On that part, he wasn't not telling the truth. There's going to be an increase of uh, American cooperation with Israel. And I think the reason for that is an unprecedented um, news was leaked two weeks ago, and it's now being reported on in the Western press. And I got my information from Israel, from the ambassador. Uh, Israel is flying combat mission training now with the Jordanian Air Force and the Saudi Air Force. It's never happened in world history, and it's happening because all three countries are terrified of Iran and are getting no support from the United States. Uh, Jordan and Saudi Arabia have treaties with the United States that guarantees um, support and defense, and they all are convinced that America will not honor those treaties should something happen. Um, The other thing that's interesting on this before I go to Syria is um, Netanyahu appointed a brand new communications minister two days ago. Uh, The man's name is Ron Baratz. He lives on the West Bank. And his first statement after he accepted the nomination was to say that Kerry has the intellectual capacity of a (laughs) 12-year-old. which I think is probably true, and that Barack Obama is an anti-Semite. So calling the President of the United States anti-Semitic two days before he's going to meet with the head of the Jewish state made it very difficult for them to smile at each other. I'll tell you where that comment came from, uh, because it's written all over the Israeli press. There have been um, several hundred stabbings 
uh, and attempted murders in Israel over the past three weeks caused ostensibly by leadership of the Palestinian Authority, by their uh, religious leaders and their president Mahmoud Abbas, all of whom have made it on tape. It's all on YouTube. All you have to do is look it up. They're all calling for Jewish blood in the streets. John Kerry made the statement that Israel must back down so the violence decreases. Imagine in our day in the United States, it's like calling the rape victim the cause of the rape. When nothing was done to cause it. That is exactly how Israel feels. So Kerry, while he's campaigning for the Nobel Peace Prize very actively after the adoption of the JCPOA, that's not a joke, it's being lobbied very heavily right now in Sweden, is at the same time making inane comments that engender the response like he's got to be 12 years old. Okay, so let's talk about Syria. Lots to talk about. The country no longer exists. It was created in the 20th century. It was destroyed in the last three years. Uh, the government of Bashar Assad is in charge of the areas around Damascus and a couple of coastal areas north and south, and that's it. And if it wasn't for the Russian intervention, it would already be out of power. If you remember, there were red lines drawn by the United States and the European community two years ago that said he will be removed from office immediately if he crosses the red line, everybody knows that, using chemical weapons against his own people or any weapons of mass destruction, or if he refuses to give up such weapons. All three things happened. Does anyone know what we did? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And as a result, the European community did nothing. And as a result, Bashar Assad took that as a tacit approval that he can get away with whatever he wants, which has turned into mass slaughter of everybody who opposes his regime, especially Christians within Syria. Right now, the country is made up of Kurds in one area, rebel groups in other areas, some supported by the United States, some like al-Nusra Front, who are radical Islamists. There's Hezbollah, I mentioned Kurds, and uh, Russians everywhere. Um, if it wasn't for the Russian intervention, Assad would have already fallen. Russia went in under the cover of, we're going to fight ISIS. They have done nothing to fight ISIS. Every single one of their missions, according to Israeli intelligence, are being flowed against rebel, rebel groups who are opposed to the Assad regime. Their mission is to keep Assad in power. The rebels are getting decimated, and ISIS is untouched. So keep that in mind the next time you hear the news. All the oil fields have fallen to ISIS. They're selling their oil everywhere on the black market, and everybody's buying the oil because oil is just black and green, and they don't care where it comes from. And that's the truth. There should be an embargo, but the people to buy, process, and sell the oil don't seem much to care. It's about $100 million a year flowing into ISIS from the Syrian fields. Now, where'd the Civil War come from? Anyone remember his predecessor? Hafaz Assad, in the year 2000, he was dying. They changed the constitution so that someone under 40 could become president. At the time, Bashar Assad, al-Assad was a dental student, or an eye doctor, sorry. He was 34. They changed the constitution. He ran for office. Astoundingly, he won. He got 97% of the vote, and the other 3% were either killed or imprisoned. Um, he's been president for life ever since. In 2011, when the Arab Spring came through, it hit Syria. 
but it hits Syria more dramatically than some of the other countries because there's so many factions that have been held together, just like in Iraq, by a brutal, obsessive, fascist dictator. Syria is run by the same political Ba'athist party that ran Iraq. And Ba'athists are formed on the Nazi party um, propaganda and philosophical backgrounds, which is complete oppression and annihilation of anybody that opposes you, and that's the way they've run it. So now you've got the following going on. Palmyra, which you might be familiar with, um, in the north has been almost completely desecrated and destroyed by uh, ISIS. They have a religious belief that any religion other than theirs and that doesn't mean Islam, it means radical Islam is to be destroyed. And the real sad thing is these are Christian historical relics from 2,000 years ago that are irreplaceable. The world will never see them again and they're mostly gone. They've been bombed out of existence. Out of the 22 million people that live in Syria, four million have been displaced. They have nowhere to go, they have no food, they have no shelter, and many of them are getting shot down on the roads as they're trying to leave their villages. Here's the big game changer. I predicted this the other day on TV and I said it again last week. I think it's gonna be true. I think the word's gonna come out that ISIS did blow up the Metro jetliner uh, over the Sinai. Let me tell you why that's so, so important. This is the first terroristic attack against Russia in a decade. Russia is not the United States. They're not Western Europe. They do not respond with negotiations. They don't go to the UN and they don't ask for sanctions. The bear will be unleashed and they will come after ISIS with an iron fist is what I propose and I think it's gonna start in Syria. The evidence is overwhelming that they are the result of a terroristic act. The evidence um, by the ex-CIA director was released yesterday. A bomb blew out the inside of the plane at the rear of the plane. Uh, an American satellite saw the explosion. There was a prediction by ISIS right before it happened. When it happened, they put a picture on as the plane was crashing and then they took credit for it when it hit the ground. Do you need more evidence than that? Russia's not saying anything, and I think the reason they're not saying anything is they want to get all their people out. There's 40,000 Russians in Egypt right now. There's 20,000 Brits. They want to get everybody out, and then I think all hell's going to break loose. You heard it here first. I think that's what's going to happen. So what's going on in Syria right now? You've got a really weird potential confrontation. You've got three and a half air forces up in the air in the same place. You've got the Russian Air Force, one of the top air forces in the world, flying daily raids against the rebels. Nobody else, not ISIS. You've got the American Air Force, the best air force in the world, flying daily raids against the supporters of ISIS and nobody else. You've got the Israeli Air Force up every week or so flying raids against Hezbollah and Syrian troops. And then you've got Syrian Air Force just blowing up villages if they have enough fuel and bombs to load up a helicopter or a short-range plane. They've, they've lost about half their Air Force. It's not a big place. Those are four Air Forces in the same place blowing up the opposition who they have to talk to every day. So there's been a hotline that's established between Israel and Russia so that they keep the jets out of the same airspace at the same time. There's a hotline between the Pacific Fleet, uh, or the, uh, the Midwestern Fleet that's there, and 
the Russian Air Force. And Israel is also talking to the United States at the same time, but they're not talking to Syria. What I'm worried about is somebody's going to stray outside the lines of the runs that day, or they're going to blow up the other guy who's going to shoot a missile and bring down a plane, and then there could be a constant very aggressive response. Israel's made it very clear they've drawn their red line. They will not allow more weapons into Syria coming from Iran. And that's what they blew up. They proposed it. They warned. The first trailers started coming over in a big convoy. And Israel doesn't warn twice. They blew the whole thing up and a bunch of Iranians died. The Hezbollah drivers were di died and the Syrian support troops died. And guess what? Nobody complained. It's interesting how when the punishment comes, there's no indignation because they're not supposed to be Iranian weapons in Syria. Right now, as of today, there's 8,000 Hezbollah fighters in Syria, trained, equipped, and paid for by Iran and commanded by the Republican Guard out of Tehran. Here's what's interesting. The Republican Guard is refusing to fight because so many of them have been killed. They're going back to Iran and they're defying the orders of the Supreme Ayatollah. So it's interesting what's going to happen. So here's my prediction for Syria, for what it's worth. I'm not getting paid, so you can't sue me if I'm wrong. Um, I think Syria is going to stay as it is until the next American election. I think a Republican president is going to walk in and on the second day, the first day is reestablish good ties with Israel. On the second day, we'll say enough's enough. The red line of four years ago is now back in place. Assad must go. All parties must participate in the government and Russia get out. And my opinion is that's what needs to happen. Or Syria will become a client state of Russia just as Egypt was in the 50s. Russia ran Egypt for a very, very long time until they went bankrupt. Russia, I mean, or they would never have left. And they're now trying to make Syria what, what Russia had with Egypt at that time. Otherwise, you're going to see millions die because there is no food, there is no water, there is no commerce, there is no trade, and for the most part, there's no housing. And it's getting worse every day. The only thing there's an abundance of in Syria is weaponry and air forces to drop bombs. And they're doing it on a daily basis. Do I have two minutes? Anybody? Okay. The reason I asked, that's my Syria report. Um, I want to talk about what I talked about yesterday on KUSI because I think it's really exciting and it was on the news this morning. Um, if you're following presidential politics, the big thing in the GOP this week is, is what's happened with uh, Ben Carson. And I think it's really important for Republicans to talk about it and be informed about what the fight's about. The reason why Ben Carson's being attacked on these issues, in my opinion, is only one reason. Nope, 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 but keep guessing. I don't, I don't think so. I'll tell you what I think it is. If you look at the polls and you look at the analysis behind the polls, the reason why Ben Carson polls so high is he's, one, he's the most believable, and number two, he is crushing the polls in honesty. He's at 60 to 61 percent believability and honesty. Hillary Clinton's in the low 30s. Donald Trump's at 35. Cruz is at 37. So he's so far ahead 
This is something we're not used to. You don't think about a presidential candidate. I believe whatever he says. Well, most people believe whatever he says. Because if you think about it, most people can't tell you what Ben Carson's trade policy with China is, what he's going to do on national defense in the Middle East, what his immigration policy will look like when instituted, although he has fleshed that out a little bit. But for the most part, people just say, you know what? He's really, really smart, and I trust him. So what do you do? You attack him on his strong point. And that's exactly what's happening. So what's the evidence that his strong point is weak? It's three things, and just three things. In his book, he talks about two incidents in his childhood that were violent, felonious, and potentially deadly. Supposedly, he stabbed a friend with a knife, but the knife hit the belt buckle and didn't go in. So by God's intervention, he didn't kill the guy. And the second one is he was going to bash in his mom's head with a hammer. Neither story can be corroborated by anybody. Ten friends from his childhood have been interviewed. No one's ever heard the story. Now, the weird thing is, this is so bizarre, you're in a situation now where Ben Carson's saying, hey, it really happened. I really did try and kill these two people, I swear. And everyone else says, no, you didn't. And, and Carson's saying, yeah, I was going to kill them both. But I got religion, and I realized my life was on the wrong path. And then he tells a really cool turnaround. He became, he went from thug to really nice guy and changed his life and really, really, really is the American success story. Does it matter that nobody knows? I don't think so. Because how many people would brag about this, about their little thug son trying to kill him, or the neighbors, right? It's something you would keep quiet and hope to God it never happened again. So I believe him on that one. Here's the bigger story that's getting the most play. He's been telling everybody he was offered a full scholarship to West Point by General Westmoreland. There's problems with it. West Point doesn't give scholarships. Everybody goes for free. Number two, the only way you get in is by congressional appointment. Not by the military, and you don't apply. Then they went to West Point and they've never heard of him, which doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't being considered. What could have happened is since he was the top ROTC kid in Detroit, he really was, exceptional student, exceptional in ROTC, everybody wanted him to go to West Point. Chances are he could have gone, and chances are the congressmen or congresspeople in that area, all of them would have proposed him for admission. And don't forget, he was a 16-year-old boy at the time, so he might not remember who exactly he was talking to. But it's interesting, the higher up you go, the bigger target you become, and people shoot at you, which is normally a sign of your success. So I'm very curious to see if any of this is going to resonate this week in the polls. Now at the same time, who saw Saturday Night Live? You guys stayed up? <laughs> I, I watched it on DVR. I, I fell asleep. Um, Donald Trump did something that hasn't been done in a number of years. First of all, he had the biggest numbers in years and years and years. But he was decent in the, sk in the skits. I mean, he's not a comedian. And you, and, you, and you act in the skits that they write for you. But here's the cute story. In the skit where he's in the Oval Office, Everybody comes in, his secretary of this, his secretary of that, his daughter's there, and says, 
Well, we got the wall built, and now the Mexican ambassador's here with the check to pay for the wall. <laughs> and, and Donald looks at the check, he goes, oh, you're paying me too much. Oh, keep the money. And then the story is, and the Chinese premier says he likes you so much, he's backing down on all the trade deals. And it goes on and on that every promise he made has now come true, and the American people are now bored because everything he promised has happened. <laughs> so it sounds kind of cute, but you know what? That's his message. And how they got a very liberal comedic group on a very liberal network to put that message out is beyond me. It's as if it was written by the campaign. Who wouldn't want to be in that skit? And that's the skit everybody's talking about. Donald Trump's predictions came true. He's the most successful president in history in one year, and now he doesn't know what to do with the rest of his presidency. I've got to believe that's going to be helpful in his future going forward. So anyway, that's politics for now. If you want to talk about uh, my opinions or anything, come grab me. I appreciate being here. And anytime you want me, I'll come back, as long as it's the same price. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> exactly. Thanks for listening to the American Truth Project, a 501c3 nonprofit. Please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on our social media channels to stay plugged in to the truth. Go to americantruthproject.org and subscribe to our newsletter to stay informed on the latest news.